Welcome. You are listening to SIB Life Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you would like to know about SIB Life, including our online service time, you can join us online at siblife.my. So uh, today we will continue with our sermon series. You know, how many of you were blessed by last week's sermon by Pastor Dan? Raise your hands. Okay, some of you probably not here. You know, so many of you might miss it. I want you to listen to it. You know, again, what excites me whenever we preach from, you know, preach through a sermon series is that we cannot avoid the, the you know, the, 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 the part of the Bible that we feel like, well, I don't know, like, we don't feel like preaching it. Like, you know, we must preach it because it's a sermon series. You know, whether we like it or not, whether we are familiar or not, familiar with it or not, we need to be true to the Word of God, study it. And that's what excites me about, you know, the book of Ezra. I've, I've read the book of Ezra in the past few times, but to be able to preach from the book of Ezra, well, it's another level. You know, I got to know not only uh, about God, but also a little bit of history of the Israelites, right? So today we will continue with our sermon series. Let us turn to our Bible in Ezra chapter 4, verse 1 to 24. Ezra chapter 4, verse 1 to 24. Okay. But uh, because of time, I will be reading only from verse 1 to verse 5. Okay. And then I will touch on some of the verses later on. Verse 1. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the family heads and said to them, Let us build with you, for we also worship your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time King Azar Hadon of Assyria brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the other heads of Israel's families answered them, you may have no part with us in building house for our God, since we alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people who were already in the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. They also bribed officials to act against them to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. Come on, let's pray. Father God, we commit this time into your hands. Help us, Lord Jesus, to understand your word. And um, Lord, this is not just another motivational talk. This is not just another uh, you know, speech or another sermon. But we believe, Lord Father God, this morning, your word will change our hearts and mind, Lord Jesus, giving us a new perspective and we will be strengthened from this. Thank you, Jesus. So we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, there's one popular belief that has been ingrained in the mind of many Christians over the years, you know, for centuries, including East Malaysians, okay, East Malaysian Christians. Now, the belief goes like this. When you do good things, God will bless you and nothing will go wrong. When you do good things. Secondly, when you do things for God, God will bless you and nothing will go wrong. Now, this is the belief system that a lot of believers, Christians, have in mind. Yeah. So, there's this belief that says that, you know, if you do ministry, it's for God. 
everything will be smooth, your life will be fine because you are serving God, ma, King of kings, ma, Lord of lords. So everything will be smooth. If you repent, you want to change your life, everything will be smooth because God knows you are doing it for Him, right? You want to repent, you want to uh, live your past, everything will be smooth. No worries. If you decided, just decided to follow Jesus, you give your life to Jesus, everything will be smooth. No need to worry about nothing else. I mean, like about anything else. So you have decided to fix your marriage, surrender to God, everything will be smooth. Just like that, God will settle all your problems. Just surrender to Jesus. Just surrender to Jesus. And then some believe that if I honor God through my finance, if I honor God through my family, my kids, my career, my studies, good things will happen to me. I will get good results. I will get promotion. You know, my kids will be healthy. Let me tell you one thing. All these are an example of good things that we do to honor Jesus, which is good. Honor Jesus. You know, but most of us think that you know we will succeed just because we do it for God, for Jesus. We will like the the, the journey will be smooth, and there won't be any opposition along the way. Tiada tantangan, like smooth, yeah. Now a lot of Christians believe this, and perhaps some of you would say Amen to this. Amen, Pastor. Amen. I believe that, and some of you been 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 thinking like, huh. Finally, I come to the right church. Ini yang saya mau dengar. I want to hear this kind of sermon. Okay, Pastor, preach it on. But let me tell you, okay? If you believe that when you do good things, when you do things for God, if you believe that God will clear your path and everything will be smooth, how do you explain the crucifixion of Jesus? How do you explain that? Jesus is without sin, and yet He suffered Crucified. How do you explain the persecution of the apostle and the followers of Christ in the first century? They are being burned because of their faith. What did they do? They just shared the gospel. You know, no one likes opposition. Yet, as Christians, as believers, we must face the fact that this will be part of the life of every follower of Jesus. If you don't know, this morning, you know. Now you know. As a believer of Christ, opposition is part and parcel of our daily life. In the book of Ezra, we can see how the nation of Israel uh, uh, returned to their homeland. They returned to Jerusalem after around 70 years, okay? In exile. And we learned last week that these people have invested their resources to rebuild God's temple. Now, we can read in Ezra chapter 3, verse 2, where Joshua, Zerubbabel, and the other priests began to build the altar of the Lord to sacrifice burnt offerings. Okay, Pastor Dan mentioned about this last week. Now, so, it is a good and noble act. You know, wow, very good. Well done, Zerubbabel. The first thing that they did, they did remember last week? The first thing they did is, they straight away go to the uh, temple and, you know, uh, build the altar. They are doing good deeds. They are serving God. But yet, this morning, we read that the enemies 
came and threatened them. How many times have we thought that um, when we pursue God, okay, when we pursue God's will in our life, we will never face any opposition. Now, I've, I have that thought before. You know, many years when I was like still young Christians, I thought that, you know, yeah, God will protect me, you know, everything will be smooth. No need plan B because I'm doing this for God. Yeah. We start to think that what's the point of doing good work for God? What's the point of repenting? You know, if God were really behind this, why aren't things working out as we expected? Why does God allow this? You know, doesn't God hear our prayers? Have you ever think about that? Why does God allow opposition in our life, just like the Israelites in our reading this morning? Why God allow opposition? Let me tell you, God usually helps us, helps us in one or two ways when opposition strikes us. Number one, how God is going to help us? So number one, He may shield us from terrible storm. You know, terrible storm. Or number two, he may have us face directly into it. And in either case, he's trying to teach us to hold on to him and he's doing it for his glory. So two things will happen when you face opposition, when you are going through trouble in your life. Number one, God will shield and protect you, you know, and keep you safe. Yeah? And secondly, God says, you need to go through it. Like, oh, really? Yes, you need to go through it. But he will make sure that you will understand his purpose and he will make sure that you will go through it, you know, victoriously. Charles Spurgeon, okay, he's one, uh, one of the great preachers, said this, We are foolish to expect to serve God without opposition. The more zealous we are, the more sure are we to be a self. Yeah, think about this. You want to serve God? You think that, okay, lah, you know, if I serve God, you know, at least my life will get better. Lah. Of course, in, in, in certain extent, yes, of course, we got better. That's how we grow. You know? But don't ever think that we will not bump into any opposition. So if you're taking note, write this down. Overcoming opposition. Overcoming opposition. That will be my sermon title for today. And I want you to know that this is not another motivational talk, like I said. Okay, I know, like overcoming opposition. Yes, I like this, Pastor. Come on. You know, this is the word of God that, that holds the truth about how we overcome opposition in life, specifically how we overcome opposition in building God's temple. In our passage today, we start with how Zerubbabel and Joshua and you know, the other Israelites were building God's temple, right? So, Ezra chapter 1, chapter 1 to chapter 6 talks about the first batch of the returnees, you know, the exiles to Jerusalem led by Zerubbabel. And the first task is to rebuild God's temple. Now, some of you know that the word uh, God's temple is not only referring to physical building like here, like church, you know, but also the, 
when, when we mention, when we talk about God's temple, we also talk about our body, human body. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 says, Don't you yourself know that you are God's temple? We are God's temple. And that the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and that is what you are. Right? So we are God's temple. So this morning when I mentioned about God's temple, it's not only referring to the physical structure of God's temple back in the book of Ezra, it's also referring to our church, Sabi Life, and also, you know, yourself, your body. Okay? So are we good here? All right? So repeat after me. Yeah? Overcoming opposition. Well, you can do better than that. Come on, at home, together, you know, you type in the chat box, ready? Overcoming opposition. Yeah? So whether you are, you are called to rebuild your spiritual life this year, whether you are called, you said that you want to rebuild your career, your studies, relationship, family, or ministry, remember, you will face opposition. The question is, do you know what opposition looks like? And do you know how to overcome it? Maybe for the first question, you know. Say like, of course I know what opposition looks like. They always come with negative vibe, lah, Pastor. Negative vibe, negative vibe. You know. Be careful with that. You know, like, uh, uh, you know, just follow me and then you will know. Okay? I pray that at the end of my sermon, you will know the answers. And before I continue, I felt that I want to give you some background of chapter 4 of the book of Ezra. Okay, and this will help you to understand better and have a bigger picture of what had happened in those days. Yeah, chapter four, as we read just now, contains some familiar names of kings and also some unfamiliar names which are intentionally included in this chapter to indicate the duration or period of the opposition that has taken place. Right. Now, the content of Ezra, the book of Ezra, are structured in, follow me, eh? the content of the book of Ezra are structured in theological rather than chronological. Right? Yeah. So, theological order, what does it mean? That means, right, if you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, okay, there are actually two books in one, actually, but only in the Bible that we separate them two. So, theological order means the temple must come first, then the purifying of the community, which is the Israelites, then the building of the outer walls of the city, which was led by Nehemiah, and so finally, all could reach a grand climax in the reading of the law. That's the theological order. All right? Now, let's start with this. Who was Zerubbabel? Okay? Zerubbabel. Yeah? Um, I wish if I have a name, a friend by the name of Zerubbabel, so I can mention him. Hey, Zerubbabel, I'm talking about you. No, okay, anyway. Zerubbabel was mentioned in verse 2 of chapter 4. Who, who, who is Zerubbabel? He led the first group of Jewish exiles back to Jerusalem from Babylon. So he's the, he's the leader for the first batch of exile. So he's in charge of the completion of rebuilding God's temple. In Haggai chapter 1 and chapter 2, yeah, the prophet Haggai identifies Zerubbabel as the governor of Judah after the exile. Okay, that's Zerubbabel. Okay, Zerubbabel. He's not someone who like just like suddenly appeared from out of nowhere. He is someone. 
He is someone, okay? Now, how about the enemies of Judah and Benjamin? It was mentioned in verse 1 about the enemies of Judah and Benjamin. Who are they? All right? These were the early Samaritans. Ah, Samaritans. Ring your bell, right? The good Samaritans, the Samaritans woman, you know, and then you, you, some of you will remember like, oh, yeah, la, why did Jews hate Samaritans so much? Huh? Okay, so this, the history is in the, the Old Testament. So the enemies of Judah and Benjamin were the early Samaritans, those who were brought into the lands of the former kingdom of Israel after, the fall, after its fall to the Assyrians. Okay, so basically you can, you can read the story about the history of the Samaritans in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 24 to uh, 33. So what happened? The Samaritans continued as people, you know, uh, as, a, as a people as in, in, in the New Testament times. Yeah, one uh, significant, one, one, how should I say, one obvious, or yeah, identity, their, their identity is that they believe in God, they also believe in other gods. Ah, they have like mixed belief, right? Maybe there's one, if I can mention one religion, um, have you heard of Baha'i? So they're like, this religion, this good, this good, this good, this good. Okay, Samaritan is like that. They do believe in Yahweh, okay, the God of Israel, but they also do believe in the other gods. That's the Samaritans, you know? So most Jews in Jesus' time despised the Samaritans. Because they were religiously, I mean, they were half-breeds, you know, they are not pure. They have mixed faith. So these are the enemies of Judah and Benjamin. Now, and allow me to show you uh, a simple timeline for a better understanding, okay? For those of you who love history, this will be a treat, okay? For those of you who are not, just listen up, okay? Now, wow, Pastor, there's a lot of numbers and names, but bear with me, you know, you will love this. Okay, so you see that Zerubbabel and the, and the other Israelites returned to Israel in 535 BC. Okay, during the ruling of King Cyrus of Persia. From this timeline, you can see that Ezra only returns to Jerusalem in chapter 7, in your book, your Bible, chapter 7, which approximately 77 to 79 years after the return of Zerubbabel. So chapter 1 to chapter 6 in your Bible, yeah, there's no Ezra in it, okay? He's not in Jerusalem yet, yeah? He's not in Jerusalem yet. Now, we will uh, revisit this timeline later on, but before that, I give you some trivia, Woo. okay? Uh, Esther become the king, the queen, sorry, Esther becomes the queen of Persia in 478 BC. So Esther is also part of this exile, right? Yeah? So now you know, like, oh, Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther, wow, they're all related. Yes, right? Okay. Now, there are three things that I want to share to you about like, how to identify, how to know the opposition. Number one, an opposition may come in sheep's clothing may come in sheep's clothing. Yeah? Now, the, the phrase originates in the, from the, uh, in the Sermon of the Mount by Jesus. You know, it was recorded in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, when he warned his disciples about the false teachers. Now, a wolf in a sheep's clothing is symbolic for someone who outwardly, outwardly looks harmless and kind with good intentions, but inwardly is full of hate, 
evil, and all kind of deceit. This is dangerous because I've seen many Christians fell into temptation. Many Christians left their faith because they failed to identify their enemies. Yeah. You know, in verse, uh, verse, verse 2, verse 3, it says, the enemies of Benjamin, they says, let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. Wow. Isn't it good? Like, oh, you're going to help us? That's good. Yeah. They wanted to become partners in the building work, yet they were still adversaries. Right? Ezra wrote that, the enemies, the adversaries. They wanted to partner in the work because it's either to ruin it or to influence it for their own benefit. That's the intention. That's the real reason why they be kind, be friendly, why they approach Zerubbabel. Not because they really want to help, but because they have their own intention, personal agenda. You know, in those days, the proposal to work together in building the temple was a political move. Yeah? Because in those days, cooperation in temple building was incorporation in national unity. So when people, other people see like, oh, you are cooperating, that means you guys are friends, you guys, you know, you guys are together. Yeah? So they want to, that's a political move. Yeah? And, and the goal, no doubt, was that if the returning exiles, which is the Jews, could be united with the Samaritans, they would soon be absorbed in them. That means the Jews will be absorbed in the Samaritans' community, the culture, and everything. Yeah? There will no longer be pure breed of Jews. You know, when, when, when the opposition come and approach Zerubbabel and the other Israel, uh, leaders of Israel, they did this on the claim that they, they seek God. Like, same like you, you know, we, 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 we worship the same God. Remember this, your opposition will come to you. Your enemies will come to you and say like, hey, you love Jesus? I love Jesus. Oh, yeah, yes, I love Jesus. Yeah? They, from the outside, they appear like, yeah, we have similarities. Hey, our religion and their religion, hey, what the similarities? Yeah, we are together. Come lah, join us. No need to worry lah, you know, come and join us. They probably said it with sincerity, you know. And according to this verse 2, yet they also added, yeah, the, 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 the inhabitants, the, the, the opposition. They also added that in verse 2, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Eshahardon, king of Assyria. This, this means that they sacrifice without either a temple or a priesthood which is absolutely against the commandment of God. So that means another wrong thing. Okay? Yeah? So when they say, like, we seek the same God, obviously it's not. They create their own God. Yeah. The Samaritans, to the Samaritans, God or Yahweh, the God of Israel, was one of the many powerful gods. So, you know, the opposition will always try to 
get you to compromise with their values. Like I said just now, if opposition comes in like, you know, uh, like, like if, if like the devil show himself, you know, with all those like scary face, la, with, you know, like all the yeah, la, horror, horror face, definitely you will know, oh, that's the devil, this is, this is, my, this is my enemy. But in, in our reading today, the opposition is, is like wolf in the sheep clothings. Now, verses 4, verse 5 shows us that the true intention of the people of the land, if the offer made in verse 2 had, uh, uh, had uh, been given from a genuine desire to worship Yahweh, definitely they want to obey the law of Moses. And that means, right, they want to worship God, same like how the Israelites worship God, you know? In other words, for the inhabitants, for the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, their intention is for themselves. Their intention is to really get whatever they can get for themselves. It's not because of God. It's for themselves. In verse 8 to 16, Ezra focuses on, on this letter, you know, um, on, on the letter, the content of the letter, that, and, and, and mentioned in verse 7. Yeah? For some people, it, you know, when, when, when you read the passage just now, right? For some people, they, you might think that, why? Why is Zerubbabel so rude? Yeah? Why is he so prideful and full of pride? I mean, people come to want to offer help. You are just like, you know, written from exile. Yeah? You don't have enough resources, and now we want to come and help you, and you reject that help. That's so rude. You know, to this point, you know why did Ezra label the inhabitants as the enemies of Judah and Benjamin? Because they are Samaritans. Yeah, they have their own evil intention. Zerubbabel answered firmly because he recognized that the inhabitants uh, of the land operated from a worldview and worldly values which is not acceptable to God. Now, we must admit in our culture today, you know, in our culture today, some influential people, VVIP or businessmen, will donate certain amount of money to the church. They purposely want to donate and want to make it public so that people will know their contribution in the church. Now, some even requested to be given a slot to, 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 you know, to talk, to preach. And to some level, these churches seem to be financially dependent on these influential people or businessmen rather than dependent on God. I'm not saying that these influential people, ka, ataupun siapa -siapa lah, all these VIP or businessmen, I'm not saying that uh, they can't give their donation to the church. They can but when they want it to be publicized, the moment they say, like, hey, can, can I get a newspaper to come or not? Can you take photos? Can I have a, you know, a good speech? The moment they say that, you know that they are like the enemies of Judah and Benjamin. They are doing it only for themselves, not for the house of God, only for themselves. Yeah? Now, back to the passage. I wonder whether you see a little bit of yourself in the attitude of these inhabitants. You know, probably some of you would think like, hmm, 
I have a little bit of, you know, the Samaritans in me. Is this what's happening in our church? Is this what's happening between you and God? So when you come to church, is it about you? Is it about God? Yeah. When you don't get what you want to do, do you support the ministry anyway? Or do you do things to discourage and frustrate the ministry? When you, did, when you don't uh, get the pastor to do what you want them to do, do you support the pastor? Or do you do things that will sabotage the ministry? Be careful. You might be acting like the Samaritans, the inhabitants. Do you look at ministry as a way to become famous and influential? Or do you look at the ministry as an opportunity to serve God and His people? You know, let me tell you, the opposition, the opposition will always try to persuade you to join them, to be like them. And what happened next is, what, like, like what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, you know, they will come and steal, kill, and destroy your dreams, destroy your purpose, destroy your, vers- uh, your, your vision. And that is what will happen. You will lose your sense of purpose and direction. And when some of you right now, as you listen to this sermon, you, you know, you don't know what are you doing for the past few years. Because you are letting yourself, you know, working together with the enemies of God. The God's temple that you want to rebuild has been abandoned. Why? Because you compromise with the enemies. The repentance that you've been working on will never happen. And you will be distracted when you give space, when you compromise with your enemies. You know, church splits happen when there are wolves in sheep's clothing mingling around the flock, trying to persuade the flock to fulfill their personal agenda. These wolves don't care about anything besides themselves, what they want to achieve for themselves. A lot of Christians didn't know that some of the company, some of their friends, some of the people they associate with are pulling them away from God without them knowing it. I can give you a lot of examples, okay? A lot of examples, you know, becoming a pastor for the past since 2015 until today. Like, you know, there's a lot of examples I can give, but I give you one example in the area of relationships. You know, I've seen many young Christians abandoning their faith because they get into wrong relationship. Their boyfriend is from another religion of faith and made false promises. You know, some even willing to lie just to get you to fall into their trap. They appear to be like caring, kind, and loving, but deep in their mind, they just want to devour you. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, friends, church, look at your circle of friends. Look at the people you spend most of your time with. Look at the people whom you listen to most of the time. Be careful. Some of them 
might be wolf in sheep's clothing. If you are in a good company, definitely your faith will be, you know, better than last year. Definitely your, your character will be better than last year. So be careful. Opposition may come in sheep's clothing. Secondly, the opposition will strike back when they don't get what they want. How do they attack? You know, by discouraging you. You know, your enemies, the opposition will discourage you by inflicting fear upon you, accusing you of something that is not true or half-truth. Yeah? They, all, they will make use of their power, position, and influence to do all the things that I mentioned earlier. Yeah? In Isaiah chapter 4, verse 7 and verse 8, you can see that. You know, whereby, uh, verse 12, this is the, 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 the people, all right? They, 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 they wrote letters to the king. During the, verse 7, sorry, verse 7, during the time of King Atarzixis of Persia, Bishlam, Mithridat, Tabil, and the rest of his colleagues wrote to the king of Atarzixis. The letter was written in Aramaic and translated. Rehum, the chief deputy, and Shimsai, the scribe, wrote a letter to King Atarzixis concerning Jerusalem. Now, the guy, uh, these guys, Bishlam, Mithridat, Tabil, Rehum, uh, Rehum, and Shimsai are the government officials people who have high position in Jerusalem at that time. Now, they probably being bribed by the enemies of God, you know, uh, or they probably be the Samaritans who want to control the Jerusalem. Yeah? These people wrote false report about the situation in Jerusalem. And then look at one of the letters sent to King Atarzixis. In verse 12, the letters... They are rebuilding, this is what they report to the king. They are rebuilding the rebellious and evil city, finishing its walls and repairing its foundations. Let it now be known to the king that if that city is rebuilt and its walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, duty, or land tax, and the royal revenue will suffer. We advise the king that if the city is rebuilt and its walls are finished, you will not have any position west of the Euphrates. Euphrates. Okay, the opposition, if you can, can you notice this, the opposition will exaggerate and twist some of the facts, giving some misleading information. That's, that's what the opposition always do. The enemies will always do this. Hey, do you know or not? You know, like they will twist the fact. That opposition, the enemy will do that. You know, in verse 12, it is true that the Israelites are rebuilding the city, which is true. It is true that the Israelites are finishing its wall and repairing the foundation, but what do you notice? The enemies are doing this. They add some false facts. They mention that the city being rebellious and evil. You see? When actually, they are not rebellious and not evil at all. They just return and want to rebuild the temple and the walls. That's it. But the enemies will add some salt in it, you know, like, oh. That's how the opposition works. Secondly, in verse 13, they mention that when the construction is completed, the Jews will not pay their taxes and this will affect the royal revenue. How do they know about this when it haven't, have not happened? You know, they're just assuming it is another false assumption. Church, how do you expect the world to respond to your faithfulness to God? 
How do you expect the world to respond to you when, uh, when they find out that you want to live your own life and rebuild your life according to God's word? You know what? The worldly people hate it. The world hates God. Their, their opposition, you know, the opposition will be like what we see here in Ezra chapter 4. They will play nice and, 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 and offer to collaborate, not because they love God, but because they want influence and control. Be careful, church. Do you know or do you realize that there are people around you who are opposed to God's work in your life? I remember this one time I, I have a chance to, you know, this many years ago, you know, had a session, counseling session with this one boy, a student. And then I said, like, why is it hard for you to come to church and then to, you know, come to sell? Well, Pastor, my friend said, if I join, Alim Wow, they tease him. Oh, you're so good, Wow, you're so good. Oh, so you 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 know, you're not you're not uh, we are not up to your standard now, huh? So he felt like Yala, you know, keep on, the, the friends keep on teasing him, and then that's what happened. He said, like, oh, it's so hard, la, pastor, so hard, la. So he don't want to lose his friends, and therefore, he chose to remain in that same state. When your enemies didn't get what they want from you, they will strike back. They will not let you go. They will give false testimony, spread rumors with the intention to discourage you, to defame, or to pull you down. Now, and talk about false testimony. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19, lists down seven things which is detestable to God, and two of them in verse 19. You know, a lying witness who gives false testimony and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. This if you notice, there are people around you in the church or outside who give false testimony and who stirs up trouble among friends, you know. The devil are using him or her as the instruments to cause disunity in the church. So remember, the opposition will strike back when they don't get what they want. Which brings me to the third point, which is this. The opposition will never stop until they get what they want. Okay? They will never stop until they get what they want. In verse 5, mentioned that they also bribe officials to act against them to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. And verse 6, at the beginning of the reign of Ahasuerus, the people who are already in the land wrought an accusation against the residents of Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 7, during the time of King Artaxerxes. Now, so, what happened here was, so Ezra, from his perspective from 450 BC, begins to fast forward from the opposition to the rebuilding of the temple. Okay? He just summarized everything. All right? So, in chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, we read the opposition in the time of Ahasuerus, who reigned from 485 to 464. Yeah? So, again, I know some of you were thinking like, oh, Pastor, there's the years and everything, you lost me. What Ezra did is, he's telling us that the opposition against God's people happened from the day of the King Cyrus yeah, up to King Atarzixis. This opposition happened approximately 
140 years. Do you think the enemy is going to leave you like that? When you say, no, 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 no. You know, like, I want, I want to repent. I want to, like, be a new person. You know, I want to follow Jesus. Do you think the enemy just will leave you like that? No. Zerubbabel and the other Israelites faced ongoing opposition from the time they got back to the land until Nehemiah got the wall rebuilt in 444 BC. In other words, their faithfulness, kesetiaan mereka, their faithfulness didn't make the opposition go away. In fact, you know, they do, do more. Now, as a result of the ongoing opposition, we can see in verse 23 and 24 in your Bible, you can see the work of the temple was seized or put to stop. Of course, the king had decided exactly what the Jews' enemies wanted because that's what the enemies want, right? They make a report, false report to the king, and the king said, okay, stop the building. Not only did the Jews not have the, his permission to continue the work, but the enemies had his authority to put a stop to the work. So, the Jews did stop working until the second year of the reign of Darius. So, up to this point, based on chapter 4, we've seen that three ways how the opposition operates in our life. All right? Yeah. They will come in ships' clothing, you know. Yeah. They will want to uh, take whatever they want. Yeah. They, they will strike back when they didn't get what they want. And they will never stop until they get what they want. Now, here's the thing. When opposition comes to the work of God, now we know what, what, kind of, what, what, what the opposition looks like. How can we overcome it? Okay? I'm going to sh- uh, share it quickly. There are three things. Number one, learn from Zerubbabel. Number one, be cautious. We need to be cautious. Berwaspada. I've mentioned earlier why Zerubbabel rejected the offer to help them rebuild God's temple. Zerubbabel was apparently afraid that the Jews would be assimilated into the inhabitants, you know, the Samaritans' culture, and that their faith would consequently be contaminated by these outside influences. So he's being cautious. He's like, oh, no, this is not good. I know these people. They're going to contaminate us, you know. Wow, this, 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 my people, yeah, uh, chosen people, people of God, so I need to protect them now. If this happened, it would create the very condition which had led to the destruction of the nation in the first place. You know, this is also one of the reasons why God sent the um, Israelites you know, into exile for 70 years, because they worship other gods. So, Zerubbabel being cautious not to fall easily into the trap of enemies. Now, sometimes the opposition to the work of God today is very subtle and difficult to discern, just like it was in the day of Zerubbabel. They come like, you know, like, hey, how are you? Maybe they will say shalom to you. Wow, I like what you're doing right now. Maybe I can help you with that, you know? Be careful. Offers for help can be revealed attempts to under, undermine and discourage our efforts. And enemies can come under the guise of friendship. And compromise can lead eventually to failure. So, to resist such subtle attacks on the word of God, or on the work of God, it requires that we ask wisdom from God and the help from the Holy Spirit to discern what is right 
and wrong. Be cautious. Yeah. Now, how many of you have experience in KL that you're being cheated, scammed, pickpocketed? I like I think three, four times. My handphone was stolen twice, and I got scammed as a student. I think once. You know, I thought like people in KL those days now. You know what I mean? They are good, they are kind, because they come to me like, hey, bro, like, oh, oh, so friendly. I don't get this kind of friendliness, you know, from a stranger back in my hometown, you know, back in Sabah and Sarawak last time, you know. But you're so friendly, they're so funny, you know. Be cautious. Second one, be courageous, okay. Brani, when opposition comes, to the, comes uh, against you, we need to be courageous, yeah. Years had passed since the incident recounted in Ezra chapter 4, many years, right? Cyrus was no longer the ruler of Persia, and Darius was now the king of Persia. In Ezra chapter 5, okay, Ezra chapter 5, two prophets appeared on the scene to encourage the people to begin once more the reconstruction of the temple. So like I mentioned just now, King Darius asked uh, uh, Zerubbabel and the Israelites to stop doing any, more, any, any, any construction, so they got discouraged. So these two prophets is Haggai and Zechariah, Okay. So a close study of their books reveals that the prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah contain two elements, rebuke and promise. Yeah? The prophets rebuke the people for their lack of courage. You can, you can you know, go back home and read about that. They acknowledge the presence of external opposition. However, they explain that the main problem was not the external opposition. It was not the inhabitants, but the loss of internal courage. You know, church, sometimes we like to blame. You know, Pastor, this is the reason why I cannot move on. This is the reason why I'm re- I, I remain in this condition. This is the reason why I, will, uh, I, I keep on you know, being defeated by the devil because of this, 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 this. You know what? The main reason sometimes is because we lack of courage. It's the internal things. Haggai and Zechariah prophesy in Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. Zerubbabel and Joshua set themselves to task, uh, to task of rebuilding the temple. You know, when, when they've been encouraged, then they, they, uh, the, the, the prophets say like, hey, you need to continue. They obey. Zerubbabel, continue. Now, that's not the end of the story. A governor named Tatanai, okay, in chapter 5, discovered that the reconstruction of the temple had resumed. He tried to intimidate the Jews and force them to stop. The people of God took their stand on the declaration of God and the decrees of Cyrus. Were they afraid? Yes, probably they're afraid. Yeah? But they did not allow their fear to stop them. Be courageous. When there's opposition, be courageous. I like this one quote by a preacher. He says this, In the absence of courage, fear will stop us from doing God's work work. In the presence of courage, fear will stimulate us to do God's work. No, friends, opposition to the work of God today is confrontational and consistent, just like it was in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. 
You know, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says, The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel says, Not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. To resist such consistent attacks on the work of God requires that we obey God's commandment and be courageous because He is with us. Amen. His grace and strength will sustain us. So church, to overcome opposition, we need to be courageous. And lastly, can I have the worship team? Be surrounded by God's people. Now, although the populations of the inhabitants of the land, the Samaritans, they are more than the Israelites who returned at that time, they, the Israelites, they remain uh, able to stand firm and continue their efforts to rebuild the temple and the city because they were united. Mereka bersatu. That's what makes them strong. Zerubbabel surround himself with God's people. He is not alone. He and the leaders of the Israelites at that time might be discouraged at first, but they continued with the work after getting encouragement from Haggai and Zechariah, and they did it together. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. Why did some people, some believers, some Christians, Despite being encouraged and being prayed for, they still remain in the same condition. They still refuse to move forward. They choose to be where they are, defeated and discouraged. Why? Because they are battling it alone. They are doing it alone. They didn't get the support from other believers. They didn't get constant encouragement from the people of God. They do it alone. That's why some of us, including those of you who are at home, find it hard to make the next step in life because we are doing it alone. That is why in SIB Life, we want you to be part of a life group. Be part of godly community because they will support you, especially in challenging times. So if you are still not part of a life group, contact us today. You know, connect with us. We will direct you to a life group. For the past few weeks, we've been praying for our members yeah, and their families who are infected by the COVID virus. Yeah, we do. Even, even this week, there are a few. Some have been infected twice. Can you imagine? You know, twice. The mental and physical strength, you know, can you imagine the mental and physical strength needed when you yourself or your family member have to go through COVID twice? In life group, we will support you, we will pray for you, you know, give you encouragement. So church, when opposition comes in your way, remember, Make sure you surround yourself with God's people. Don't fight alone. Don't fight alone. When we give God our weakness, He will give us His strength. 
too often we take for granted and don't recognize the realities of having a relationship with God. You know, His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Zerubbabel was reminded not to be discouraged by his weaknesses, but to be encouraged and to rely and remember the Lord's strength. And that's exactly what we need to learn to do more in our day. Now, I'm going to close with these two questions. Number one, have you identified the kind of opposition that you are facing in your life today? Have you identified the opposition that has been hindering you from fulfilling God's purpose in your life? Number two, how are you dealing with the opposition so far? Are you compromising your values or are you standing firm in your faith? Because I sense in my spirit that some of you are building your faith on the wrong things, not in God. And it's not surprised when you keep on falling and keep on being intimidated by the same opposition. So today, I want to pray for you that whatever season you are in right now, you will be strengthened, you will continue to press on, and by God's grace, you will overcome every opposition in your life. Come, let us stand on our feet and sing this song together as our prayer and also declaration to the Lord. Hallelujah. Come. Thank you for tuning in to Live Podcast. We hope that you will be challenged by this message and you will share it with your friends, family member and co-worker. We hope you have a great day. God bless you.